What's up, dirtbags? Welcome to episode 161 of the Midwest Angler Podcast. Scott Sturman, Matt Deitch. What's going on? 161. One hundred and sixty-one. We passed. We passed how high you can count. One hundred and fifty-five episodes ago. <laughs> Definitely, maybe one hundred and fifty-eight episodes ago. <laughs> I mean, it's those are getting to be pretty high numbers. That is. That's why I'm involved. I'm the counter. You know, you 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 come with all the fishing knowledge, and and that's why we're a team. I get to ten, and then I'm in trouble. Yep. Because I don't really want to take my socks off at somebody yep. else's place. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Nope. Uh, episode 161. Matt, uh, the Bassmaster Classic is officially in the books. It officially is. Uh, Jason Christie is uh, the Bassmaster Classic champion. So awesome. Um, you know, Hank Cherry had won it uh, uh, two years ago. Then he turned around and won it again this year. And a couple days ago, it had kind of looked like maybe he... Uh, he uh, had a chance to maybe be, you know, right in, in there again, hunt. and yeah. and uh, today it actually kind of looked like uh, it was going to be Stetson Blaylock. I had actually sent a message, you yeah. know, is it going to be Blaylock or is it going to be Welcher? And then all of a sudden, way in time, and it's like, whoa! <laughs> Jason Christie was sandbagging on his bass track. I love it when they sandbag. So on do the I. That, that's the best thing. So do I. So, Sometimes I don't know if I like bass track as much because you rely on it too much, and yep. you know they. They weigh them down. They weigh them when they catch them. So then it's just like, I like that when they just eyeball them and be like, man, that's a three pounder. Yep. So then pretty soon, you know, the ounces start to add up for them. So, yep. Well, uh, you guys know how we do it on this show. Uh, we always get the uh, the winners on after they've been on. So today we've got Jason Christie on the show. <laughs> that was just a joke. We don't got Jason Christie on the show. Well, we're never going to have Jason Christie on the show. Uh, not not because we don't like him, but uh, we do have a back to back champion on the show. We though. do have a back to back champion on the show, the double champ. That's uh, right. No, we got uh, today. We're going to have Rod Woten on the show. Uh, Rod won the Craig Teason Memorial Tournament out at Hooked on Hardwater this year. He also won the Craig Teason Memorial Tournament at Hooked on Hardwater last year. So uh, it only made sense. Uh, uh, Matt and I had talked to Rod while we were out there, and uh, um, you know he's. He, He's an Iowa angler that we've, you know, wanted to have on for a while. You know, fishes Okaboji, uh, yep. uh, you know. Well, Besides us, too, he's definitely in the top three. Top three I best anglers in, in Iowa. Iowa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. There, you could rank us however you want to rank us. But I was going to say, I'd probably give him number two, me number one, him number two. I you're, can handle that. Yeah, you're fighting for third. <laughs> I mean, right now I'd say you're in third, but, I mean, you, you switch in and out from fourth. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I break the top three every yeah. once in a while. I'd call you three and a half, really. <laughs> there go. Three and a half, the law of averages. But uh, no, we've got Rod on today. And uh, um, yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know, unless you've got something else to say on this intro, we'll just uh, cut Get her over, to, over Rod. to Rod. And we're here today with Rod Woten. Rod, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. Rod, you're on your way back from uh, Clear Lake. Did a little fishing today? Yeah, we've been up uh, actually on Rice Lake, so we're a little little further north than Clear Lake. Okay. Uh, we like to fish those little prairie potholes around Clear Lake. They don't see near as much pressure that, as what Clear Lake gets. How was the ice? Uh, it was pretty good, actually. Um, the rain has gotten rid of all any snow that was up there, and I think if this cold snap hits, it'll firm up pretty good. We found anywhere from probably 12 inches on the low side to 20 inches on the high side. Okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was in real good shape. The top was a little crumbly, but 
Um, it was starting to refreeze, so it was in pretty good shape. How about like the bottom of the ice? You know, after you guys drilled oh, the holes, yeah. did they? Did it stayed pretty solid. It didn't flare out or anything like that. No, no. And if you look down in your hole, you could see maybe the first inch or two was a little crumbly, but it was nice, clear, hard ice all the way rest the rest of the way down the hole. That's good. Good. Yeah, it's gonna be. We're gonna have ice up there for a while yet. Good, good. M Matt was out yeah. on Friday uh, on a little local lake up here and. Uh, it, it, it was not doing very good. So <laughs> it was pretty sketchy at the, yeah. uh, for a second. So, yeah, well, I know some of the ice down around Des Moines, like big Creek, it's probably done. Yeah. Okay. Even with the cold snap coming. So how did you guys do? Did you guys catch them pretty good? What were you after? Uh, typically we go up there to catch uh, big perch. You don't catch a lot of them, but there's some good ones in there. And we almost always pick up some eater walleyes and there's some quality bluegills in there too. Um, okay. So that was kind of the game plan today. We caught a lot of fish. We didn't catch much for big perch. I suppose our biggest perch were probably 10 inches. We caught, oh, I think I've seen three or four of those caught. Um, more largemouth bass than I've ever seen come out of there today. Well, it's well, Bassmaster Classic Day, so, so I mean, right. <laughs> it only makes sense. Well, I, my big fish of the day was a 17-inch largemouth. So there you go. Heck yeah. There's some good ones in there. Heck yeah. And... Uh, Bluegills kind of turned on towards sunset. We picked up a few during the day, too. Lots of little perch. Um, and then the, uh, at least one walleye there right at sunset, too, I think. Nice. So is that, you said it's a pothole lake, so then is it pretty uh, shallow lake, pretty dirty water? Or? Yeah, it, it was actually pretty clear, very weedy. There's a lot of, it's weedier this year than I've ever seen, but there's a lot of weeds frozen into the ice. Oh, all right. Um, I think the deepest I fished was four feet of water. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. It's got an aerator, so there's a big patch of waterfowl, you know, hanging around the aerator. Um, so it's a nice little, and we were the only ones on the lake. There was a group of uh, five or six of us, and we didn't see a, another soul the whole day. That's always fun. Yeah, can't beat that. Yeah, for sure. All right, Rod. Um, you know, you, you've listened to the show a couple times. You know that uh, on this show, we talk just as much about chicken wings as what we do about fishing sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you don't get a guy that they call Munchie on without possibly talking a little bit about some chicken wings. So that's right. To, to start it off, I just got to ask you, uh, you know, are, are you a boneless or are you a traditional guy? You know, I hate the mess, but it's got to be traditional. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. There are very few boneless wings that compare to a traditional bone-in wing. Yeah, that's the fact. Yep. Now, yeah. now, what kind of sauce you running with? I like straight-ahead buffalo. Um, okay. Pretty hot. Not super hot, but it's just hard to beat that classic flavor. Okay. Do you ever venture off from it? Do you ever like get in the mood like, you know, I'm going to try something different tonight, or is it always kind of just going straight buffalo? Every time I'm in Sioux Falls, I got to stop at uh, Cherry Creek. Uh, Yes, and have the gold wings. Oh, That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> now, now, do you do the blue cheese or ranch, or are you just straight up uh, winging sauce? Yeah, I'll dip it, and I'll mix it up between blue cheese and ranch. If it's blue cheese, it's got to have great big chunks in it. The chunkier, the better. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I, just, I, just, I just puked a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> oh, I love those blue cheese chunks, man. <laughs> now, now, I got to ask you. You know, Craig Euler is as he's thrown out some really big numbers about how many wings you could throw down in one sitting. Uh, yeah. And and he said that there was days back in the Ice Institute days where, I mean, he he was throwing out big numbers. Do you, do you 
Do you got any idea a number that you could take a stab at? Well, they they used to bring them out in platters, and I think uh, I went through two or three heaping platters. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Got to let the big dogs eat. That's right. That's right. <laughs> how, how, how did you get that name, Munchie? So uh, I went to school at Iowa State. I got a degree in industrial engineering. My first job out of college was in Dubuque, and there was actually a, a guy that I went to school with there that I worked with and a couple of guys who graduated ahead of me. And my first day at work, they took me around, introduced me to everybody. They took me back to this one product engineer, and he was a big Beavis and Butthead fan. <laughs> kind of date myself here, I know. Oh, no, you're but, not. Uh, <laughs> so I said, Joe, this is Rod. And in his best Beavis and Butthead voice, he said, Rod, munch? Because there was an episode where they put munch on the end of everything. Yeah. And so by the end of the afternoon, everybody was like, oh, you're munchy. <laughs> and it just stuck. And so, yeah. And so, you know, when I, back then, forums were a big thing on the internet. And so I, anytime I would join a forum, munchy71 would be my handle. And uh, it's kind of followed me ever since. You know, I out of all the all the ways, you know, when you're talking to a guy that downs three platters worth of wings, that's not the way I figured you got that name, but, well, but it's and, good. And so that just helped reinforce it, right? I mean, it that's was right. like it was meant to be. Yep, that's right. I, I guess I feel bad that we didn't put you in our winging contest earlier this year on the <laughs> podcast. Would have been, no yeah, been no challenge. Would have been no challenge. Yeah, I'm a wing connoisseur. If if it ain't wings, what else you what, what what's your second favorite deal? What what else you gonna eat? Not good healthy nachos. Okay, good healthy nachos. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> now now if you're driving up. if you're driving down the road, what what kind of music are you listening to? Oh wow, I run the whole gamut. Um, I'm kind of into the the punk alternative scene. A lot of Green Day. Um, listen to a lot of Foo Fighters right now. Okay. Listen to a lot of so Social Distortion. Big, big Pixies fan, Nirvana, um, that kind of stuff. But I even, sometimes I'll have Harry Connick Jr. playing. Um, you just never know. I was uh, involved in a lot of different musical activities in high school. I was in jazz band and pet band and marching band and concert band. So I kind of listened to a little bit of everything. Wow. That's good to stay well-rounded. You bet. That's right. <laughs> You never know who you're going to get stuck in a vehicle with on a road trip, and they played crappy music. If you like it all, then it's all right. But. Yeah, so a couple years ago, on our way out to Hooked on Hardwater, I rode with Tyler Lyon, and I found out he was a big Green Day fan. So coming home, we had 10 hours of Green Day. You guys looked at each other and said, did we just become best friends? <laughs> well, after we got home, we didn't listen to Green Day for probably another month. I was going to say, we, we've had, we had five hours straight of ramrod so we haven't talked to him in a while we need a little break from him no yeah i won't i won't trade you <laughs> now now rod uh let's dip in a little bit uh where where are you from i know that you're an iowa guy but where exactly are you from in the state so i was born and raised in southeast iowa little well medium-sized town of Atumwa. oh yeah now if any of the listeners if that sounds familiar they've probably either heard of radar o'reilly from the MASH series, because Atumwa was his fictional hometown. Really? Or Yes. Or they've heard of Tom Arnold, who's also a native son of Atumwa. Okay. And I'll just, right now, I'll apologize for Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so so how did you get into fishing then? 
my family's always been very outdoorsy. You know, Southeast Iowa, it's, it's farm country. There's a lot of hunting going on. Uh, my mom and dad have old Super 8 movies of me still in diapers, just being able to walk, dragging around a rooster pheasant by the tail feathers that dad had just brought home. So, you know, it's, it's in my genes. It's in my blood. Um, my grandpa, Wooten, he grew up fishing the Des Moines River. It runs right through downtown Ottumwa. Uh, my grandma, Armantrout, was a huge catfisher woman. Um, dad was always bass fishing or, or fishing down at the river. So, it, you know, I probably started fishing before I can even truly remember. Um, but I didn't start ice fishing until quite a bit later in life. Well, there can't be a lot of lakes. Is there a lot of lakes that get good ice down there by Des Moines, like consistently throughout the year? Or is it pretty, you know, not like a lot of ice like we get up here sometimes? Yeah. We fish a lot of farm ponds. There's a lot of farm ponds in that corner of the state. And they're small enough that even on a warm winter, they ice up. Um, probably every five or six years. Like this year, you'll get Lake Rathbun ices up really well. Okay. Um, so we'll make sure and hit that when it happens. We were on Lake Wapolo this year. We can usually get on Lake Wapolo even in the warmer years. Um, so there's a lot of smaller bodies of water up there that are, are very fishable in the winter. I, I, I personally love farm ponds. I got a buddy who's got a, a couple farm ponds, and I just love going over there and fishing them. And, you know, especially when you can find the right farm pond, there is absolute monsters in there. Uh, Amen, have, brother. Have, have, you, have you gotten any, like, monster bass or monster bluegills out of any of those farm ponds? Yeah, there's a pond uh, next door to my, my uh, NASC partner, Mike Riley, um, where there was, what, four of us that day? And every one of us caught at least one bluegill over a pound. Wow. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a picture of mine running around the internet with a, a bluegill. It's in my hand. All you can see is the front half of the bluegill. And the forehead on this fish is so pronounced. Um, they were just monsters. And unfortunately, like two or three years after that, it winter killed. Yeah, oh, yeah. man. And yeah, we found some monsters frozen in the ice after that. And we never have been back since. There's, I know there's fish in there. People have caught bluegills out of there but i don't know if they're the quality that they used to be you do any summertime fishing on those farm ponds or just mainly ice fishing uh a little bit it's more we save them mostly for ice season okay yeah yeah that always sucks when they winter kill like that especially then you walk around and see what was really in those things it just is heartbreaking absolutely yeah for sure well now being down there in the des moines area down in the southern part of iowa like how did you get involved with being on the ice team? So it's a long sorted tale and I never really even ice fished until after I graduated from college. I lived in Dubuque for a couple years and uh, that same guy that was taking me around and introducing me to people at my first day of work, well, he and his dad were also ice fishermen. And so I went out a couple times with them in Dubuque and we didn't even have an auger. We just chopped holes in the ice with a hatchet and Oof. never really caught much. And I even, I even saw a couple of those, funny looking blue flip over things and i thought <laughs> how in the world could a person fish in one of those you know and uh i met my wife and i moved to des moines we got engaged and i kind of forgot about it you know i didn't really have the stuff to ice fish on my own and then i don't know if you guys remember the the play it again sports stores oh yeah oh yeah so there was one in des moines not too far from where we lived and i drove by it and in the window set up was the same exact ice shack that i'd fished with my buddy in dubuque out of and I thought, you know, that was kind of fun. Uh, Big Creek's just up the road from me. I wonder what they want for that. So I went in, and for like 20 bucks, I got that ice shack and two hand augers. 
And so I was out on Big Creek the next day, and I guess I didn't realize that auger blades had to be sharp. Because <laughs> <laughs> it took me to, forever to drill that first hole. And uh, from that point on, I, I would plan my schedule. Okay, it takes me 45 minutes to drill a hole. It takes me 10 minutes to get unloaded. It takes me 35 minutes to drive there. So I would back out the time so I knew when I had to leave the house in order to get a hole drilled and get my lure in the water. So, uh, again, you know, that's when the forums were real big. So I got in a forum called Iowa Outdoors, and I started networking with other ice fishermen. And I uh, met some really good ice, some sticks, especially up in the Okaboji area, Ryan Hale, some of those guys. And uh, kind of got started getting some experience and fishing some different places. And a lot of people were saying, well, you're a pretty good stick rod. And I thought, well... Maybe I should uh, take a chance and try and get on some of these pro staff. So I started applying with like uh, Strike Master and Vexilar, and I got on with them. And then uh, a little thing called Ice Team University came up. And uh, Mike, who I mentioned before is my NFC partner, you know, we'd always kind of wanted to go. So we're like, well, let's do it. Let's go. So we went up to Mille Lacs. It was on Mille Lacs that year. And at that time, it was actually being run by uh, Jim Hudson out of Wisconsin. Yeah. They were called Ice Ice Roads. And uh, he was running it that year, so I went up and, and met with Jim. Jim was an ice team power stick at the time. There were a lot. I mean, Dave Gens himself was there. We sat down the first morning at breakfast with Dave and just kind of networked and uh, had a really good ice team. And a lot of people kind of started to take notice of me, I think. And uh, so that's really where the whole ice team thing for me started. After that networking and getting to know people, um, you know, I got to know Mike Smith, Smitty, who at the time was uh, running ice team for Clam Corp, and uh, talked to him and said, hey, I'd really like to get on. And he said, well, send me a resume. So I put together a resume, kind of like I would, you know, to get an engineering job or anything else, and got on with the group, and I've been with them ever since. It's probably been, gosh, 15 years now, I guess, I've been with ice team, maybe more than that. Time flies and you're having fun. Yeah, that's for sure. Isn't that crazy, though? You know, I mean, you're sitting here talking about, uh, you know, some of the stuff that, that that you were doing, you know, 15, 20 years ago, hand augers and, and whatever. And it's just really pretty crazy to think how far this sport has come, you know, in, in 20 or 30 years. Absolutely. And it's really cool to see it from the ice team perspective because a lot of those innovators, they're ice teamers. Right. I mean, yeah. it goes right to the top, right? Dave Gens, I mean. The Vexilar, the Fish Trap, Ice Armor, you name it. And Dave, it, it's come from Dave. So it's really cool to see, you know, as an ice team guy, I get to fish with Dave. And I get to see some of those things before they even hit the market. And just like when the Silky was coming out, you know, it was just all I could do to contain my excitement about that and, <laughs> and wait for it to hit the market. So what was it like the first time you got a power auger? Did you think, oh man, I got this by the by the tail now? Did you just go out and just start drilling holes just because you could? Like you could drill, see how many you could drill in forty five minutes. Yeah, it was huge, and I actually got a little overzealous because you know they, <laughs> the gas augers were great, but still you were lugging twenty pounds, and the more holes you drilled, you know you're lifting twenty pounds each time. So if you drill five holes, you've lifted a hundred pounds, you know. So it was great to be able to drill those holes, but it was still a workout. Yeah. That's and why you keep Mike Riley around, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I saw the opportunity. I had to throw it in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he knows it. No. No, I'm just playing. Uh, 
let, let's let's talk about uh, tournaments though. When when did you decide? You know what? Uh, you know I'm I'm an ice teamer, or, or maybe this came before. But what what made you decide to to get competitive with the fishing? So I think it all started with the the bluegill tournament that Ryan Hale used to have on Emerson Bay, right there in Okaboji, West Okaboji. Um, first couple of years, I you know I was in the top ten or fifteen or something. Um, really. You know, I remember the very first, I was actually out there pre-fishing and I'd heard about the bluegills up there and I'd never really experienced them. Probably the third or fourth fish I pulled up out of the hole. I mean, he was as big as a pie plate and, you know, it was like a circle with a tail on one end and a beak on the other one. <laughs> and I was like, geez, that's a big bluegill, biggest I'd ever seen. And I was going to measure and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Sounds like I'll pull all kinds of bluegills like that up, up here. So I just threw him back and I had never seen one that big since. So I'm still trying to get that big one out of Emerson Bay, one that big, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, they, they're the ones that come swimming up and, and, you know, stop about an inch before and kind of turn yeah. sideways, give you a wave and s swim away. Well, you see plenty yeah, of they, them. Yeah. They give you that middle fin as they swim away. Exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> so I fished that for probably uh, four or five years. And then one year I actually ended up winning it. And, uh, kind of really gave me a taste for the tournament thing. And it wasn't too long or maybe even during that same time that Mike and I went and fished our first NAIC tournament. Um, it was up on Lake Billsby, up by, uh, I think it's Northfield, Minnesota. It's an uh, impoundment on the Cannon River. And it was so cold that, I mean, it was like 30 below. And Mike kept calling me Iron Man because I wouldn't fish inside a shelter. I was fishing off the seat of my snowmobile, even at 30 below. And uh, that was a tough tournament. The, the, you know, the target species are crappies and bluegill, just like most of the other NIFC tournaments. And it was hard to find either one. So they actually added white bass to the bag just so people would, could have some fish to weigh. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and we caught our white bass, no problem. And this was back in the days, I don't know if you remember the, the Iceman series where they would film each qualifying tournament. They had a group of five or six different teams where they followed every tournament, and they were the Icemen. Um, and every week, they would have an Iceman of the Week. Well, that week, it was Mike and myself. So they followed us around with the cameras, too. So we got our chance to be on TV. And uh, when we lined up, we were directly behind Newby and Wilson, who anybody that knows NFC knows those two names. For the longest time, they were the team to beat. You know, they won Team of the Year every year. They won most of the, the qualifiers. Um, they were just almost unstoppable, you know, back in the day. Still pretty good now. Um, and they had just won their first event the week prior. And they actually ended up winning the Billsby tournament, too. And so it was kind of cool to rub shoulders with those guys. And, you know, they we got our start the same time they did. So that was a pretty memorable tournament for us, even though we didn't do great. Um, I, I do remember we picked up one really nice bluegill just roaming the basin. And uh, Myron Gilbert, who was another legendary tournament fisherman, he was in the weigh-in line behind us, and he looked in our bucket, and he saw that big gill, and he said, I'd kiss your bleep to have a bucket full of big uh, bluegills like that. Because <laughs> most of the guys that had bluegills, they caught them up by the docks. They were just little, you know, four- and five-inch gills. So to see a nice eight-inch gill in a bucket like that, he was pretty surprised. Yeah. Unfor unfortunately, that and the white bass were all we had. We didn't get any crappies. But, uh, you know, Nubian Wilson, um, Tony Boschold, his tournament partner, there were three or four teams that found the crappies, and of course they were the ones that finished at the top of the of the of that event. 
So how many years did you uh, did you do those NAIFC tournaments? Oh man, we did them for probably almost ten years, I would guess. Um, it got to be really hard for us, though, because a lot of those guys they don't work in the winter, yeah. so they can go to a week a lake for a full week and pre fish it. And Mike and I both have day jobs, and and uh, you know we'd be lucky if we could get up there on a Thursday night and pre fish Friday and Saturday. And a lot of times it was one of the other of us pre-fishing, and then the other partner would get up there Saturday night, and they would fish the tournament on Sunday. So we were, you know, a lot of times we were contributors more than competitors. Yep. Mm-hmm. And to complicate matters, I mean, we qualified for the championships every year, but Mike works for United Parcel Service, and they can't really take, you know, that's their busy time because the championships were always the weekend before Christmas. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it was hard for him to get any time off, so we usually it was up, me just up there pre-fishing by myself for the tournament so it was just got really tough for us to even do the championships and you know we, we kind of sat back and realized that those things were happening plus we were missing out on chances to just go fish for fun yeah right and yeah. you know it was always so much pressure and and we're just like i think it's time we retired so we kind of you know we'll do some local tournaments every once in a while um but we're really now into chasing picture fish you know we yeah, like to yeah, pick out definitely. destinations where we know we got a shot at really big fish of any given species, fish that are good for pictures. So that's kind of what we do now instead. Yeah, those tournament guys, they're, you know, we interviewed Ben and Kobe a few weeks ago, and they're a different breed. They're out there, they got a whole different mindset than, you know, just your average, you know, just weekend fisherman, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we usually did pretty well at the championships. We finished as high as 11th, so we just, just missed the top 10 one year. But it's just making it to the qualifiers and all the pressure. And, you know, tournaments are hard on gear. I know you guys are <laughs> love to hear that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember one year the championships were on Mille Lacs, and the ice had broken up and refrozen, so it was real jagged pack ice. And I remember we launched that morning, and we were towards the back of the field, and it looked like a yard sale. From the launch point all the way to where everybody was fishing. There were broken heaters and pieces and parts of machines and buckets and you name it, just scattered all along. And, it, you know, machines were freezing up. It was just brutal. We, we would have been busy uh, passing out stickers. <laughs> <laughs> that have been a great place for it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Rod, you also do some guiding uh, with cold water uh, guide service. Tell us a little bit about uh, what what you offer there. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I, I agonized a long time over that name. I wanted something that accurately, accurately represented the two things that I really do. One is ice fishing, and the other is fly fishing for trout. You know, and, and trout live in cold water. Um, so I'm like, well, we'll call it cold water guide service. Yep. And it just so happens there's, there's a, a creek a cold water spring creek in northeast iowa called cold water creek so it's kind of our namesake and uh so we do a few ice fishing trips uh back when i started in 2012 we were tournament fishing still so i didn't have a lot of free weekends to guide but if somebody you know wants to do an ice fishing trip i'll take them out and i don't have specific bodies of water we can do big creek we can do okaboji we can do clear lake you know we can do any of those little dish pan prairie potholes up around clear lake between there and the Iowa Great Lakes. Um, so I don't do a lot of those kind of trips every year, but, uh, you know, that's there. But my main emphasis is fly fishing, especially in northeast Iowa. Um, you know, it's amazing the number of people that don't even realize that we have trout in Iowa. Right, yeah. But if you've ever been to that 
that driftless region of northeast uh, northeast Iowa, you realize that it doesn't even feel like you're in Iowa anymore. The geology is totally different. Um, you know, all the hills and the bluffs, and those bluffs means that there's a lot of uh, spring-fed creeks there, and because they're spring-fed, the uh, chemicals and nutrients in the water are perfect for trout, and also they maintain a, the perfect temperature for trout year-round. So. It's just a beautiful area of the state. It's one of my favorite places to be. And so, uh, you know, in the, the spring, summer, and fall, when we're not ice fishing, we like to take people up there and, and introduce people to, to fly fishing. There's a lot of people that are really afraid of it. And uh, we try to break it down so it's very understandable and, and, you know, build them good habits so they can start fly casting and then put them on some trout, too. So uh, it's it's really good for excuse for me to get to go fly fishing a lot of times. So how, how, how far are you from where you live? How far is it for you to get up there? Uh, three and a half to four hours, depending on if we go to, like, the Manchester area or if we go clear up to, like, Highlandville area. Um, and, we, you know, I can cover kind of that whole range. What kind of trout are you guys usually um, targeting? What do they have up there? So we've got three, well, technically four species. You know, we've got rainbow, brook, and brown. The rainbow and brown are non-native. Most of the brown are self-sustaining, so they're breeding populations that sustain themselves. Uh, rainbows are usually stocked. There are a few, like a handful, maybe five streams where they're finding natural rainbow reproduction, but they're definitely not self-sustaining. And then we actually, Iowa actually has its own subspecies of brook trout. It's called the South Pine Strain. And they're gen genetically unique to any other brook trout in the world. And uh, they were thought to be extinct one time, but they found a uh, population in a little South Pine Creek. And so they've transplanted them to other places just to, to maintain that, that strain of brook trout. And so, uh, you know, we'll chase those. And so there's that strain, but there's also like the St. Croix strain. Uh, the DNR is trying to find a strain of brook trout that is best suited to Iowa's waters because the South Pine strain requires very, very good water quality, which a lot of the streams don't have up there. Um, but we'll chase all three. And then sometimes where you get the brown trout and the brook trout together, you're going to have tiger trout. So we do catch tiger trout from time to time as well out of the streams up there. Nice. I didn't realize that we had those. Yep. <clears throat> now, now, Rod, with with fly fishing, you've traveled not just to northeast Iowa, but uh, fly fishing has taken you to uh, the mountains of Virginia, out to the Black Hills. Uh, first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Virginia, where, where you fish down there? So, yeah, I, I was fortunate enough that the company that I work for has a facility in the little town of Luray, Virginia. And Luray's in the valley between the Massanutan and the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so I get uh, go out there for weeks at a time sometimes. And, uh, you know, I'll leave on a Saturday, so I've got Sunday free, or I'll come home a day late, and I'll go up in the mountains and fly fish up there. And it's really technical fishing. It's very small water, and it's mostly uh, wild native brook trout up there. And uh, if you know anything about wild brook trout, you'll know they don't get very big. I mean, we were up there. My wife and I went out there for vacation this past uh, spring, early summer. And we went with a guide up there, and I caught a nine-incher, and he just about blew his top. He's like, that's a big one, that's a big one. He was just going, carrying on. And I'm like, well, these are, you know, the size we catch in Iowa and throw them back because we want bigger. 
But, uh, man, those wild brook trout are so colorful, and they're so aggressive. I mean, as soon as the fly hits the water, they're on it. Wow. And you better not miss it, though, because if, if you spook them or they see a shadow or you miss the hook set, you're not going to get another shot at them because they're also very instinctive. They're uh, born eaters, but they're also born survivors, so they're they're no dummies, you know? Yeah. Um, and that first trip out there, I went and fished a, a stream called Jeremy's Run, and it had just rained, so things were a little squishy. And, and in the forest there in the mountains, it's almost like a, a deciduous rainforest, very humid, very damp. And so I kept going down and down and down. I'm like, when am I going to find the fishable water? Well, finally, after about an hour of hiking down the mountain, I found it. Caught brook trout right away. And I even caught, you know, a couple decent ones. And uh, hiking back up, it was still pretty squishy. And I was kind of following my boot path, my boot prints, up the way that I'd come down. And all of a sudden, I stopped in my tracks. Right in the middle of one of my boot prints was a fresh bear track. Oh, Ooh. boy. <laughs> yeah. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So I was on high alert all the rest of the way back to the car. And I actually, right before I popped back out of the parking lot, I heard something. I looked up, and there was a dead tree, and there were two bear cubs scrambling up the tree. No kidding. And there was Mama at the bottom pacing around this tree. <laughs> so I tucked back around the corner just trying to kind of stay hidden. I think she knew I was there. And I'm like, well, now what do I do? I mean, it's too thick for me to bushwhack. I'll never make it back to the car. I can't get around her. And so finally, I just got brave and kind of stood out in the middle of the trail. And, and once she saw me, she hightailed it into the underbrush. And I got scooted through there as fast as I could to get back to the truck. And I would breathe a sigh of relief once I, a sigh of relief once I closed the door and felt like I was safe. <laughs> <laughs> I would have too. Yeah, that's what <laughs> but, I uh, like about uh, in Iowa where I live. I'm the highest on the food chain. <laughs> yeah. And there, you know, that was only my first encounter. I, I fished two or three more days that trip. And every time I turned around, there was a black bear running the other direction in the underbrush. And uh, there's a lot of them out there, but they're just as timid as deer. So it wasn't a big deal. And as long as I made lots of noise and they knew I was there, I never did have a problem. Huh. Yeah, not still not for me. <laughs> <laughs> not, it's a little not... bit of adrenaline, you know. Oh, yeah. No, no. Me and Matt, uh, we, we got to meet you through Hooked on Hard Water out in the Black Hills, um, you know, and that's obviously an ice fishing event, and, and that's something that we want to talk about here next. But uh, do you do some uh, uh, fly fishing out in the Black Hills, uh, you know, open water fishing? Absolutely. It, a lot of people don't realize how good the fly fishing is in the Black Hills. In fact, some of the best fishing is just across the street from the Club for Boys there where Rapid Creek runs through downtown. Really? Yeah, there's some tremendous dry fly fishing right there, right across from the Civic Center, you know, right there with all the traffic and the bustle of the city. Um, there are some big browns that swim those waters through there. Then, uh, you know, you go upstream from Deerfield Lake where we fish with the boys. Castle Creek that dumps into Deerfield there, that's just loaded with wild brook trout. Really? So, again, they're not very big, but well, the colors are super. And you can put a foam hopper on and toss just about anywhere out there. And, and catch a brook trout on at least every other cast. And every once in a while, you pick up a nine-incher. But the really fun part is when you tie into one of those big rainbows that have come upstream from the lake. You know, you're expecting a six- or seven-inch brookie, and you tie into an 18-inch rainbow. Yeah. Man, is that fun. In that little water, too. Yeah, I'd, and, and I mean, with with, uh, with fly fishing, your, uh, your pound test for, say, 
I mean, you're you're using pretty light stuff, correct? Yeah, because you match it to the fly and not to the size of the fish. Okay. So you might be using a five X because you're using like a a number twenty dry fly, and if you hook a new eighteen inch brown, um, you just gotta wear them out. You can't horse them in like you could if you had the the proper poundage of tippet on. Yeah, and I suppose you're fighting them in current too, so that's always a factor in it all too. For sure, and they're such strong fish anyway. You just yeah. throw the current in, and it makes it that much harder. Now, now let's talk a little bit about hooked on hard water. Uh, this year, you were able to win your second straight uh, Craig Teason Memorial uh, tournament. Uh, you know, obviously, it probably felt awesome to win the first one. Did you know going into it, like, yeah, I think I might have just won the second one, or, or were you kind of surprised at weigh-in? Uh, a little bit of both. I was really surprised the first year. Um, so my winning bucket was all bluegills, and that's not how I started out. I My plan was to catch some of those bigger perch out of Sheridan. And so, you know, the first year I went out to those perch and it just wasn't happening. So I just pulled the map up and like, all right, what else can we do? Like, well, here's a nice inside side corner. Um, it's not too deep, so it should have weed growth on it. I mean, just kind of a classic uh, fishy spot, you know. And so I went up and started drilling around and, and picked up a few bluegills. And then I picked up one that was, well, that's a nice eight-inch bluegill. Threw them in the bucket. And uh, by the end of the day, I had a bucket full of 10 bluegills. And I thought, well, I don't know. You know, I'll at least be on the board, you know. And so I was surprised when... Uh, they started putting the weights up. I'm like, well, maybe I, I might be top 10. And the more buckets I saw come in, I'm like, I got a good shot at top five, you know? And then once Craig, you know, he starts putting the, the names on the board from last to first. And there was no, there was one space left and my name wasn't up there yet. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I won it. And uh, that first year was pretty close though. I mean, there was only a few ounces between first and second. Mm-hmm. So I just squeaked it out. I mean, if I hadn't been able to upgrade one of my fish, I probably wouldn't have gotten first. Um, so this year was was kind of complicated. Um, so I've been doing hooked on hard water eight years, and this is their ninth year. So I missed the very first year. But my first year there, I was paired up with a little Lakota boy named Zach. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we go out to Rapid City four or five times a year. And so when we, that summer after the first hooked on hard water, we made it a point to pick up Zach and take him fishing. You know, we went out to Deerfield and we fished open water. We fished, uh, fly fished Rapid Creek in town a little bit. And so I've stayed in contact with Zach all these years now. And somewhere along the second or third year, I kind of picked up uh, Zach's best friend, Quentin, as well. And so this year, they're both 16 now and they're driving and so in talking with them, I'm like, hey, you guys want to go fish this tournament with me Thursday morning? They're like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, all right. And so when I got to Rapid, or Rapid City, we kind of talked back and forth. And they're like, hey, you want to have breakfast before we go fishing? I'm like, sure. I said, I got to come pick you guys up anyway. He said, well, meet us at Morningside Cafe. Said, we'll drive over, and then we can ride with you to the, to the lake. So um, plan to eat at 8. We get there. They don't show up till 9. <laughs> And so I'm like, oh, man, I'm not going to have any time to fish because I know it's probably going to be 40 minutes just to drive to the lake. And it was that time I thought, you know what? This is more about the boys than winning any tournaments. And so I just kind of relaxed. And I'm like, whatever happens, happens, you know, as long as I get to spend time with these boys. And so they showed up and they've got facial hair. (laughs) 
and driving, and I'm like, oh, you guys are making me feel really old. <laughs> so we had a really good breakfast, and we drove out to the lake and um, drilled some holes, and I set them up, and it was way too shallow. There were weeds stacked clear to the ice, and I'm like, we got to move out. So I just, you know, progressively worked out deeper and drilling holes until I found a good spot for them. And then I drilled a spot for myself right beside him, and I started fishing off the sea to the snowmobile, like I always do. And bam, first fish out of the hole is a nine-inch bluegill. I'm like, man, if I got a bucket full of ten of these, I got more bluegill and maybe a, a decent perch that I threw in the bucket. And then nothing for like an hour, hour and a half. Might have been even been two hours. And we didn't get on the ice until 1030 because of, you know, late breakfast and all this and that. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to catch 10 fish. And uh, I'm like, I, gotta, I guess I'll look around and see what else is out here. So I hooked up my line scope and dropped it down and panned around. And 20 feet from me, there was a huge school of fish. And uh, so I went over and drilled and tried to get on top of them. And every time I drilled, they would move. So finally, I had enough holes drilled. And I just kind of start, started having to herd them to where I wanted them. And uh, I'd herd them to one hole and I'd pick up a fish or two. They'd move on, and I'd herd them to another hole, and I'd pick up a fish or two. So somehow, before like 3 o'clock, I had my 10 fish. I was sorting through, and I threw back probably half a dozen bluegills. And I had two real solid 9-inch bluegills, and, oh, probably all but three of them were nice 8-inchers. And there were two or three fish that I really liked, would like to have upgraded. And I'm like, I'm really going to regret not upgrading these you know, two or three last bluegills that were less than 8 inches. So we headed back to the weigh-in, and I, I thought, well, I'll finish pretty well, but I don't think I'm going to win it with this bucket this year. So I took my bucket up, and when they weighed it, I just about passed out because uh, <laughs> I could tell just by the reaction that uh, it was a big bucket because uh, Chris Peters, he looked at the scale like three times to make sure he was reading it right. <laughs> and I even, heard him, I even heard him say, six pounds, what? <laughs> and Greg said, 6.01. Wow, And uh, so I knew I was in pretty good shape. And uh, it turned out those two or three bluegills that I wanted to upgrade really didn't end up mattering because I won it by almost a full pound anyway. Yeah. That's that's good karma, Rod. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> and, and it was really cool because the, the guys went to the weigh-in with me. They got to, you know, mingle with the rest of the, the pros. And they got to reconnect with Dave Euler. And they got to talk reconnect with Craig. So that was really cool. And they're all jacked up now. They're like, next – so – when they showed up, they had on tennis shoes and worn out je ripped jeans, and like you guys are gonna freeze. Uh, luckily, I bought my my two man shack, and it was it's all black, so I set that up, and it warmed them up enough that they could stay out there all day with me. But so you know they're all jacked up. Like next year we're gonna get winter gear, and we're gonna go out and we're gonna beat you, Rod. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome, guys. Let's yeah. plan it again. Yeah, that's that is just so cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's just another one of those hooked on hard water stories, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. So many good stories come out of that event. You know, Rod, we're, we're closing in on 40 minutes here. Uh, you know, when, when we were setting this up, I, I kind of told you that's that's kind of what we were shooting it for. Yeah. Before we let you go, do you have just one hooked on hard water story? You know, since, since we're talking about it, I figure that's that's the perfect way to, to, to wrap this up possibly. You, you got one story that it's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Um. You know, it's just the whole thing with Zach, just how we connected right away. Uh, you know, we went back when the first year he came out, he didn't have boots. And this was before the, the club made sure the boys had what they needed for clothing. 
And so when we went back out in the summer, we took him a pair of boots and we met him at the club and it was kind of a big deal. You know, it was hush hush and they called Zach to the front. You know how they call the boys at the front when their mm-hmm. ride's there. And he, he wasn't expecting it at all. And just the big hug we got when he, when he realized that we were there for them. And, and just over the years, even, you know, just texting back and forth, how's school going? And it's really cool. It's like, I've got a kid out in the black Hills that, uh, you know, I'm helping to, to mentor and, and making sure he stays on the straight and narrow. That's very cool, man. That, that's, uh, that's, that's above and beyond, you know, even, you know, I mean, it, it, it's great what all of us do, but, but that's even above and beyond. And, and, uh, like I said, good karma, I suppose, <laughs> you know, not, not yeah. only are you a good stick, but, uh, um, you know, that's, that's, that's super awesome of you. Yeah, it's just whatever we can do for those boys, you know? Yeah, you bet. That's what, that's what it's all about. Um, you know, before we let you go, Rod, is there anyone that you want to give, uh, you know, a little bit of shout out to, you know, any companies that help you out or, or anything that you uh, want to say? Sure. Well, it's hard for me not to mention Climb Outdoors. They've been through me with me from the beginning, through thick and thin. Um, you know, Ice Team, that's part of, of Clam. Um, cold Water Outdoor or Cold Snap Outdoors, Dan Hoke's been great. Um, he took me on a frozen staff right away. Um, Vexilar couldn't do what we do without there out there without Vexilar. Um, those are probably the three biggest, you know, can't help. Can't thank them enough for sticking with me and supporting me and, and, uh, helping us do what we do. Absolutely. How does, how does one get a hold of you if they want to get in on a fly fishing trip or even an ice trip with you? So they can check out our website at coldwaterguideservice.com, all one word, um, we do take bookings through there or contact. We don't use it a lot because we use Facebook more. Um, so we also have a Facebook page, coldwaterguideservice.com. Or they can just email us at coldwaterguideservice at gmail.com. Perfect. Um, when, when, what, what's the best time of year to, uh, to get those trips in if, if you want to go to northeast Iowa? Uh like mid-May to early July, that's when all the hatches are really going crazy and the fish are feeding like crazy. The weeds aren't too bad yet. You know, there's not a lot of wild parsnip up yet. Um, the water temperature is our perfect. I mean, that's that's prime time right there. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, perfect. Uh, Rod, we, we appreciate you taking uh, time to, to, to join us. Uh, you were somebody that me and Matt had talked about a lot and uh, – you know, out at Hooked on Hardwater, it was like, you know what, uh, um, that's the one that we got to have next. So we appreciate it, and uh, um, yeah, best of luck to you the rest of the ice season. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, you know, I've been really excited about this ever since we talked about it at the banquet, and uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, so uh, <laughs> couldn't couldn't be any happier to uh, to join you fellows. And anytime you want to have me on again, just give me a shout. I'd be happy to do it. Awesome. Definitely. Thanks a lot, Rod. Yep, thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. And that was Rod Woten uh, on his way back from Clear Lake. Well, the Clear Lake area, I, I don't remember. Uh, what did he say, Rice Lake? Yep, Rice Lake. Rice Lake, and uh, he's heading down uh, down to the Des Moines area. Um, you know, if you guys have been paying attention to the news at all uh, lately, uh, the Des Moines area got uh, hit with some pretty severe weather. I think there was possibly even seven fatalities. Yeah, isn't I that crazy? Like, w- what the frick is the deal with these tornadoes yeah. coming through in the frickin' winter? I know it's it's been nuts lately with our weather. It's just I don't know, crazy, 
crazy, but yeah, it's uh, there was some. There was. Did you see some of the pictures from down there oh, by Winterset insane. and stuff? Yeah, Absolutely insane. So uh, no, that was a that was a bad deal. And our uh, our thoughts, prayers, whatever you do, you know, goes out to to all those people. And yeah, that's it's a terrible deal. Um, but Matt, uh, you actually got out fishing. What was that? Uh, Friday, Friday, yep. Friday, Friday afternoon. afternoon. I've actually, actually got out a couple times this last week. So <laughs> Bragger. <laughs> I went to Okaboji one day and I then want to toot my own horn, but I got out a few times. <laughs> Taking advantage cool, of it when cool. I get some days off here and there. So oh, no, I was at Pahoya. No, so. why don't you just keep the bragging going? Why don't you tell us about how good you did and how hard on your gear you were? You I know, was really hard on my gear. You I, were, huh? I even slapped a couple stickers on my what? sled. I went down and purchased a sled because I don't have like a sled for like early season and late season. I just always hauled the stuff around in my shack and I was like, I don't feel like hauling my shack around. So yep. ran down the runnings and grabbed a sled quick and what they have they they have like a, a gear sled uh, oh yeah a, they have yeah. different sizes they actually have like some of the otter sleds and stuff really? too yeah i was actually nice. surprised i was going in there and i was expecting them to be like do you mean like a kid sled like to yep. slide down a hill i was like but no they're like no they're right over here i suppose there's a lot of farmers that use them for calves oh, for and sure, stuff for like sure. they actually had one they're like well up there that's a really heavy duty one that one's made for calves but you probably don't want that one and i was like well no, no i don't need that one but they had jet sleds and yep. an otter sled so yeah Heck no yeah um went over to okaboji what was that wednesday fished over there ice was really good yet i mean there were still guys driving their trucks out there pulling right trailers that's what i've everything. heard that they're still driving plenty so out there so i mean fishing was all right i moved around found a couple schools of just crazy perch action but they were all like the little ones like yep the first drop down i caught one that was 10 inches and i was like well okay if i catch a few of these i'll be all right maybe i'll keep them and nope the rest of them after that were you know four five inches and that's about how it goes yeah i moved around got on some good or good uh bluegills after a while didn't keep anything i didn't feel like cleaning fish so yep. Yep. it was nice to get out but the wind the weather really changed that day it was like 50 in the morning and sunny and then all of a sudden in the afternoon it, the clouds rolled in and that northwest wind came in and it got chilly out there i was kind of like oh man uh, but then Friday, yeah, afternoon, I ran over to Lake Pahoya close here. I thought, no, nah, I'm just going to run over there. I got a few hours here. And I was actually really surprised at the ice conditions over there. I mean, the top, like I said, was getting really soft. And then, like, having drilled holes over at Okaboji where people were still driving, you know, drilling and drilling and drilling over there. It's like I started to drill and all of a sudden, boom, I'm through. And I'm like, whoa, this ice is a lot, isn't as thick as I thought it was. And then, when you looked at the bottom of the hole, it really, you could see where the ice chipped out at the bottom that it was getting soft. And, yep. uh, yeah. So I don't know. After I caught some bluegills over there and some little crappies, never got into any decent sized crappies. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know the ice over there this week. If we get the cold temps that we're supposed to be getting, it might firm it back up, but the shorelines were starting to kind of pull away in some areas. So if you do go over to like Lake Bohoya, just, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know how it. We just had rain the other day, right? And that really could take a toll because, I mean, it was nuts how much the ice changed just a little bit that I was there, and you start getting some some rain on there. I I just don't know. So just if you do decide to venture out there, just use a lot of caution. Yep. Pump the brakes and uh, yeah, probably probably go the buddy system. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was glad there's. To tell you the truth, if I would have got out there and like walking out there. If I wouldn't have seen other people out there, I would have hesitated to keep going more than what I did. But yep, nope. Uh, 
I don't know. I I I hope I can still get out. I'd I'd like to get out. Uh, you know, maybe this coming weekend, maybe uh, sometime in the evening uh, this with, week. But with the temps that we're supposed to be getting here, overnight temps are supposed to be getting back down there. Everything's going to firm back up, and I mean, we're going to have ice, fishable ice for still two to three weeks. Right. I, my right. guess is, and we don't have to go very far north, and we'll still be able to get on some good ice. Yep. That rain. That. Uh, you know, the the warm days, people, you know, it's always crazy how well, you know, the ice can, can hold up to the warm days. But the way you, get, I always, you get some rain and some wind, and then that, that gets western in a hurry. The way I look at it sometimes, you think about it like, okay, you go out there, and it's good solid ice, and you take a pee on it. And it just sits there and kind of pools up and everything like that, and it's just like, no, oh, okay, whatever. You're worried about it running into your stuff. But the other day, out on Lake Pahoya, I had to go, and I went, and that stuff, like, like soaked in like it was like dry ground and it was like whoa really <laughs> it's like it's going through here pretty fast like yep. so yeah just use caution yep um you know uh i believe we've had uh maybe the last two episodes where i think we uh snubbed you guys on some good news stories um me and matt were kind of talking about it uh before we started recording and uh I think we've, I, I, we, we're going to make up for every good news story we've never had. All right, uh, we're going to have like a good, good news segment here. We're going to. We're going to. I think we can go five, six stories here. Uh, um, I'm going to start off. Uh, we've got some turkey calls, uh, some yeah. jig heads. Uh, uh, a listener of ours that actually lives down in Georgia, uh, grew up in Iowa, uh, Jason Kaup, Kaup. Cow, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce the last name. I'm going to call it Kaup. Yep, that's what I call it too. Yep, but uh, he, uh, he's he got a buddy who's actually a professional caller, makes turkey calls, and uh, um, we put a picture of it on our Facebook page, but uh, these calls are freaking like bad to the bone. They are awesome. He, he they messa- sound good, dude. They do. He messaged me and was like, hey, I got something for you guys. It's not a custom rod, but I want to send it up there, and uh, – so Kayla says to me, she's like, well, what'd you buy now? And I'm like, I don't really know what I bought now. Like, what the heck is that? <laughs> and I see the name and it's like, oh, heck yeah. Like, you know, I must have some shirts in it or something. And I open it up and there's like some, some rags. And so I open that first one up and I see that logo and I'm like, holy moly. Like those are turkey calls. <laughs> those are badass. And I called Matt, and I'm like, dude, yeah, right. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to come over here, write me out, because these things are freaking sweet. They they are sweet. That God dang it, I was freaking jacked up. Like oh, I was, so was I. No, those are way cool. Yeah, so thanks, Jason. I mean, and the jig heads are awesome. I can't wait to use the jig heads, too, that he made us. Oh, for sure, for sure. He even wrote in his note that, uh, um, you know, that, that they only catch bass for me. <laughs> No, so well, I I figure I'm gonna hook walleyes. Uh, you know, gotta rocks. have gotta have catfish bait. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, some rocks. I'll, I'll I will hook plenty of rocks. That's why Lockwood calls me Snag 'em Up Sturman. But uh, no, that's uh, that's number one for good news stories. Matt, you got you got one. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna give a shout out here to our boys and girls basketball team here at Central Lion. The girls made the state tournament and the boys made the state tournament. The girls this past weekend got to play for the championship, ended up losing by like seven in the finals, played a really hard-fought game. It was a back-and-forth game yep. the whole time. Just come down to the end. They just came out on the on the bottom side of it, but they played their tails off the whole tournament, the whole season. 
Uh, big shout out to the seniors that have stuck it out all these years. And I mean, it's kind of fun to see the progression from when I had them in seventh grade. To, right. Yeah. You were to, their coach at one right, time to where they progressed to as seniors and just leading the team. So that's pretty cool for the girls. And now our boys play in the state tournament this week down there and they're actually the number one seed. So are they really? Yeah. Good luck to the boys. Heck yeah. Um, next up, uh, we'll give a shout out to, uh, uh, ben Luderman and Colby Craninger are uh, episode 159 guests. Uh, they took home the tournament uh, today, which is Sunday, uh, the day before this episode drops. Uh, they took home the the Ultimate Panfish League tournament. Uh, I'm not sure where Might that tournament was. Clearwater. That could be. But uh, and they also took home Team of the Year with that yep. win. Uh, you know, we we said it on episode 159 when we had them on, like. These dudes are good. Yep. They're different. Yep. They went out there. We told them they were going to win it, and they went out and won it. It's just it's just science, like we've said before. You get on here, and I mean, we're going to take a little bit of credit for that. Oh, for sure. For, that for sure. Like, we're kind of like co-teams of co-team of the year, I'd say. Like We're coaches. Yeah. We're coaches. Like, after we got done recording, we kind of told Colby and Ben, like, hey, guys, I think this is what you should do, and, and, and they obviously listened. Yeah, we pumped them up. Yep. March Madness style. Yeah, so if you're Corey Sprangle or, or John Hoyer or, uh, you know. Jason Christie now. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we, we had an episode with Jason Christie a couple weeks ago, and then uh, – it uh, just didn't turn out bad audio, bad <laughs> yeah, audio right. quality. So we, it's on know, his end, not yeah, ours. exactly. <laughs> God knows our high budget deal. You know, we don't, we don't have that. But we just told him, like, dude. I mean, well, actually, I think that was the same week as Colby and Ben, and we were like, dude, you, you know, yeah, we're we having Colby and guys. Ben on yeah. instead. So, uh, yeah, you're out. <laughs> no, you know how that goes. Uh, no, but uh, uh, no, but congratulations to Ben and Colby on. Uh, on a freaking another win. That's right. This sticks. Yep. You got one more, Matt? Um, well, Biggie shot us some notes. Yep. This last week, some thank you That's cards correct. just in the mail. So we got to give a big shout out to him. We really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we had never friends. had listeners send us anything. And, and then all, all of a sudden, sudden we got two in one one week. That's right. And it's, it's always nice to get that little note just to, you know, I got an email from a parent this week from one of the girls that I coach in basketball to just, uh, you know, a thank you for the season and appreciation, appreciation kind of email. So it kind of, you know, makes you feel good and yep. kind of makes you realize you do why, why, why you do what you do. So, right. And Jordan hurt, Jordan hurt. You want to, you want to cover that one? Jordan. Yeah. He went down to Lake Conroy, Conroy in Texas and one TBF was that the na- national yeah, yeah. Yeah. So local guy fishes a lot of tournaments over at the Okaboji at the Iowa Great Lakes and uh, kind of took it to him down there. I know like the first day he caught his first fish of the tournament was like a 10 pound, 11 ounce bass. <laughs> That'll do it. That's, right. that's when you know uh, things he might he, be going right. He didn't catch. He didn't only caught four on the last day. Really? And still won. He didn't know if he was going to have it going in. And he posted something on Facebook today that uh, he was fishing a bridge. And his cameraman was just like, hey, who's that up there cheering for you and stuff like that? And he didn't pay much attention to it. And he was just kind of like, nah, he just kept focused on fishing. And then the cameraman's like, no, like, who is that up there? And then he looked up and it was his uh, newborn child. And well, I think that it's pretty old, like not a year yet, but uh, and then his wife. And infant child. His yep. infant child. And uh, 
his wife and like his fishing partner from up here had all traveled down there and didn't he didn't know it and he's out there fishing and i mean it's gotta be tough to kind of hold it all together when, oh yeah and then he, he actually said actually then the pressure was kind of on it's just like oh my you know so i saw that his wife had posted something on facebook about how uh you know his best friend had had called their text and said like hey you know right like, this might just happen here i i feel like we should we should go down there so they drove it all in one shot and yeah got to got to see him win one hundred and twenty five thousand. yeah that's, it's just and it's that's just, badass we've said it before the, the the group of fishermen over there at oh Okoboji, for sure for sure in those bass tournaments that fish over there those guys there's some hammers some yep. serious hammers over there that could do like could really make a name for themselves in bigger fishing tournaments if they ever decided they really wanted to. So, oh, yeah. I mean, Chris Miller and yep, he's down. Mark Tomjohn are I down in, I think it's, I don't know if they're in Alabama or where they're at. They're fishing. I, I believe it's like Alabama somewhere. A Fishers of Men tournament. Okay. So, yeah. Nope. Uh, what was I going to say there? I don't know. I don't remember neither. I had something to say about, oh, I, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I saw on that $125,000 check uh, that, that Jordan Hurt had won that it said a live in the dream on there. And I'm not 100% sure, but they used to have the live in the dream deal, and I believe that was on the TBF, the Bass Federation deal. When you won the national title, the year after that, they paid your way into the Opens, like one of the, yep. the deals of the Opens, and I think they gave you a truck, and I think they gave you a boat that okay. that you could go and 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 do that and that's actually how mark daniels jr got his start yep. he won the 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 tbf national title won the live in the dream deal they gave him a boat uh a pickup and paid for all of his uh deals into uh paid for all of his entries into the opens he qualified that first year right after that um yeah i think mark daniels jr is actually like a uh I think he's like a plant scientist or something like that. Honestly, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, no, uh, I know he's and, a very uh, smart individual. Yeah, and uh, um, yeah, then now he's a fisherman. Yeah, you know, well, and hopefully, so I I don't know if that's how how it is. You know, obviously the the Bass Federation and 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 BASS don't actually you know that that's that's two different organizations. But I just when I saw that I I didn't I knew that that's how Mark Daniels Jr. had done it. You know, whatever. Uh, and then when I saw living the dream on that check, I had thought, eh, maybe, but maybe the check used to be $40,000 and now they up it to 125 because yeah. a guy like Jordan hurts, like, Hey dude, I've got a pickup. I got a boat. Like yeah. I don't need that. So yeah, who, who knows? Uh, be interesting to find out, but, um, no, we, we, uh, it's just cool to see the local guys having some, you know, success. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that might actually be all the good news. We've, we've got a in. we've got a pile of good news stuff that we could talk about, but uh, we got to save something for next week. That is correct. We got to save something for next week. But uh, um, thank you guys all for uh, uh, tuning into the show. Um, these last couple weeks have been ginormous. Uh, again, thousands of listens and thousands, uh, z, z, like plural, thousands of listens every week. Um, you know, we're I don't know we're hit, we're hitting numbers that we hadn't ever hit before and. Uh, um god dang it, it it's absolutely crazy to think about it um yeah, that's so, all to you guys yep so uh 
Um, if you haven't yet, uh, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening. Uh, if, if there's a way that you can give a review, uh, I know there is on Apple, please do that. Uh, it helps us out a lot. Um, but otherwise, uh, no, we, we truly, truly, truly thank you guys all for, uh, for listening. And, uh, with that, and, that's, and one, one thing I have a challenge for the dirt bags out there. All right. What you got? How many wings do they think is on a platter? And how many wings do they think that Rod ate? I think there's 50 city? on a platter. Nah, <laughs> nah, I don't. The guy can't eat 150. There's 20. There's 25 wings on a platter. So, right now, I think he can out 75. All right, I think he can. I believe it. Yep. So, all right, guys, uh, appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you next week on episode 162. Later. <laughs>